The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business, by Wayne Visser, read by the author. Magic Tricks and Military Tactics Why is BP such a good example of the age of marketing, which is characterized by misdirection? Well, we must begin by asking what is meant by misdirection. Most commonly, it refers to a technique used when performing magic tricks. One hand distracts, often using a shiny object like a coin, while the other performs the deception. That is why we say, the hand is quicker than the eye, and we are victims to a sleight of hand. In the movie Swordfish, the main character, Gabriel, reminds us that what the eyes see and the ears hear, the mind believes. A typical distraction method is to use a large gesture, like dramatic sweeping arm movements, to conceal a small gesture, like using a hand to quickly hide an object. One of the greatest modern maestros of misdirection is British TV celebrity illusionist Darren Brown. In his Trick of the Mind programs, he tells us that he achieves his results using a combination of magic, suggestion, psychology, misdirection and showmanship. One of my favourite setups is where Brown simultaneously plays nine of Britain's top chess players, including two grand masters. He seats them in a circle and makes a move against each player, one at a time, achieving a remarkable four wins, three losses and two draws. Unbeknown to them, what he is really doing is remembering and mimicking the moves of players opposite each other. Hence, they were not playing him, but each other. In sports, we have misdirection in the form of the feint, in fencing and boxing, which involves attacking into one line with the intention of switching to another line before the attack is complete. Similarly, in American football, there is the counter-tray, where the offensive team feigns rushing one way, then attacks the defence in the opposite direction. Also in rugby, we have the time-honoured dummy pass or dummy runner. Apart from sport, history is also full of military examples of faint attacks and faint retreats used to deceive enemies. For example, during the Battle of Hastings, the Norman cavalry feigned retreat. As a result, the pursuing Saxons forfeited the advantage of height and the line was broken, providing the opportunity to fight in single-handed combat on a neutral vantage point. Another famous feint retreat is the Parthian shot, whereby the Parthian or ancient Iranian mounted archers would feign retreat, then at full gallop turn their bodies to face and shoot the chasing enemy. Not surprisingly, misdirection is also a favourite tool of government intelligence agencies. One popular tactic is called the limited hangout. Victor Marchetti, a former special assistant to the deputy director of the CIA and author of Propaganda and Disinformation, How the CIA Manufactures History, explains it as follows. A limited hangout is spy jargon for a favourite and frequently used gimmick of the clandestine professionals. When their veil of secrecy is shredded and they can no longer rely on a phony cover story to misinform the public, they resort to admitting, sometimes even volunteering, some of the truth while still managing to withhold the key and damaging facts in the case. The public, however, is usually so intrigued by the new information that it never thinks to pursue the matter further. Criminals, of course, know misdirection well, especially pickpockets. 
often working in teams, the pickpocket or their partners in crime will typically ask a question or bump into their victim to distract them from the thievery in progress. Dickens' timeless pickpocket Fagin, in the musical version of Oliver Twist, sings, Dear old gent passing by, something nice takes his eye. Everything's clear, attack the rear, get in and pick a pocket or two. In misdirection, what is said is as important as what is done. Beyond simple lying, which is an all-too-common technique in and of itself, the use of psychobabble and technobabble has become especially rife. Psychobabble was coined by author and journalist Richard Dean Rosen in a 1975 New York Times cover story of the same title. Although it initially referred to the misuse of psychological terms, Today it is generally used to mean jargon, buzzwords and highly esoteric language used to give an impression of plausibility through mystification, misdirection and obfuscation. Technobabble is used in a similar way in an attempt to create a pseudoscientific impression that will enhance credibility. Using smoke and mirrors So much for the concept of misdirection. What about its application in business? The tobacco industry is a past master in the art of marketing-led deception. For years, as research of the negative health impacts of smoking piled up, the industry sponsored a campaign of disinformation and deception. Let's start with what we know about tobacco. According to the World Health Organization, no other consumer product is as dangerous or kills as many people. Tobacco kills more than AIDS, legal drugs, illegal drugs, road accidents, murder and suicide combined. Of everyone alive today, 500 million will eventually be killed by smoking. And while 0.1 billion people died from tobacco use in the 20th century, 10 times as many will die from the same cause in the 21st century. This is not simply a health issue, but also an economic crisis. In America alone, smoking costs the economy $76 billion in health costs and lost productivity. Smoking-related diseases account for 6% of all health costs in the USA, and on average, a smoker takes 6.16 days of leave as compared with 3.86 for non-smokers. Of all the trash collected in the US in 1996, cigarette butts accounted for 20%. There are indirect costs as well. Every year, one million fires are started by children using cigarette lighters. In 1997, China's worst forest fire was caused by cigarettes and killed 300 people, as well as making 5,000 homeless and destroying 1.3 million hectares of land. In 2000, fires caused by smoking reportedly cost 27 billion and killed 300,000 people. The debate about the ethics of industry-sponsored research and the practice of misdirection by Big Tobacco reached its zenith when, in 1994, the CEOs of seven of America's largest tobacco companies testified before the House Subcommittee on Health and the Environment of Congress, all denying that cigarettes are addictive. They all lied under oath. Two years later, an investigative article in Vanity Fair entitled The Man Who Knew Too Much, told the true story of Jeffrey Wigand, a research chemist working for the tobacco company who planned to go on the 60 Minutes TV show 
to expose the lies and deception of the industry, including the CEOs that he labelled the Seven Dwarves. The story was later turned into the 1996 movie The Insider, starring Russell Crowe as Wigan, which was nominated for seven Academy Awards and five Golden Globes. Asked in an interview to separate fact from fiction in the movie, Wigan replied, Was I followed by an ex-FBI agent in the employ of Brown and Williamson? Yes. Was there a bullet found in my mailbox in January 1996? Yes. Did someone threaten to harm my family if I told the truth about the inner workings of the tobacco company I worked for? Yes. Did the tobacco industry attempt to undermine my integrity with a 500-page smear campaign? Yes. The industry took another public relations hit in 2005 with the release of the movie Thank You for Smoking. It is a satirical comedy that follows the machinations of Big Tobacco's chief spokesman, Nick Naylor, who engages in PR spin on behalf of cigarettes while trying to remain a role model for his 12-year-old son. Among the more amusing black humour scenes is one where Naylor and his friends, a firearm lobbyist and an alcohol lobbyist, meet every week and jokingly call themselves the Merchants of Death or the Mod Squad. Of course, Hollywood represents the lighter end of a far more serious and significant anti-tobacco lobby that has built momentum over the past two decades. We have simultaneously seen a United Nations World Health Organization campaign and numerous governments passing legislation restricting smoking in public places and banning nearly all forms of tobacco advertising. The tobacco companies themselves have been scrambling to regain their lost credibility and to present a more responsible face, seemingly with some success. For example, companies like British American Tobacco have engaged in extensive stakeholder consultation exercises and since 2001 their businesses in more than 40 markets have produced social reports, many of which have won awards from organisations as diverse as the United Nations Environment Programme, PricewaterhouseCoopers and the Association of Certified Chartered Accountants. BAT has also been ranked in the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, the FTSE Ethical Bonus Index and the Business in the Community Corporate Responsibility Index and they funded Nottingham University's International Centre for CSR. If these accolades and associations are to be believed, responsible tobacco is not an oxymoron after all. Sowing the seeds of doubt. You might be forgiven for thinking that tobacco is an outlier. After all, no other industry, with the possible exception of armaments, kills people so systematically and publicly. Yet the tactics of misdirection are pervasive in businesses across all sectors. If anything, big tobacco simply served as inspiration for others to follow. For example, speaking about the climate change denial lobby, Former U.S. Senator Tim Wirth, who spearheaded environmental issues as an Undersecretary of State in the Clinton administration, concluded that they patterned what they did after the tobacco industry. Both figured, sow enough doubt and call the science uncertain and in dispute. That's had a huge impact on both the public and Congress. In a 2007 article for Newsweek called The Truth About Denial, Sharon Begley warned that outside Hollywood, Manhattan and other habitats of the chattering classes, 
the denial machine is running at full throttle and continuing to shape both government policy and public opinion. Since the late 1980s, this well-coordinated, well-funded campaign by contrarian scientists, free market think tanks and industry has created a paralyzing fog of doubt around climate change. Through advertisements, op-eds, lobbying and media attention, greenhouse doubters, they hate being called deniers, argued first that the world is not warming, measurements indicated otherwise are flawed, they said, then they claimed that any warming is natural, not caused by human activities. Now they contend that the looming warming will be minuscule and harmless. This denial machine found a contemporary home in the previously mentioned Global Climate Coalition. The coalition, comprising mainly of US companies with vested interests in the status quo, including virtually all of the large chemical, oil and motor companies, was set up in 1989 after the first Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, ostensibly to coordinate business participation in the international policy debate on the issue of global climate change and global warming. Translation, to lobby against the emerging consensus of climate science and policy development. Brought about by the IPCC, comprising around 2,500 of the world's most respected scientists, and the Kyoto Protocol, signed and ratified by 187 states, excluding the USA. Apart from funding and highlighting any studies that sowed doubt in the public and political mind, the Global Climate Coalition distributed documents and videos raising concerns about the economic impacts of climate action and the potential benefit of global warming for agricultural yields. They also sponsored the Global Climate Information Project, which ran anti-Kyoto Protocol advertising saying it's not global and it won't work, and Americans will pay the price, 50 cents more, for every gallon of gasoline. It is perhaps not surprising that among the Global Climate Coalition's PR spin doctors were Stephen Malloy, who, according to investigative journalist George Monbiot, was first funded by tobacco company Philip Morris, and Bruce Harrison, ironically considered the founder of Green PR because of his work for the pesticide industry in the 1960s when he helped lead the attack on author Rachel Carson and her critical treatise, Silent Spring. Although the Global Climate Coalition became defunct in 2002, once its members realised that public and political opinion was turning against them, climate denial is far from over. A 2007 report by the Union of Concerned Scientists entitled Smoke, Mirrors and Hot Air documents how ExxonMobil adopted the tobacco industry's disinformation tactics, as well as some of the same organizations and personnel, to cloud the scientific understanding of climate change and delay action on the issue. According to the report, ExxonMobil funneled nearly $16 million between 1998 and 2005 to a network of 43 advocacy organizations that seek to confuse the public on the global warming science.